This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I've been wanting to interview Darren Baker for a long time and was delighted to finally sit down with him, virtually, of course, and talk about his career as an actor on stage, screen, and television. I'm delighted to share that interview with you. Here is that interview now. Darren Baker, a Broadway and television veteran, has been acting in television, films, and stage for over 37 years. He has also taught acting for over 20 years. He studied at the HB Studios, which stands for Herbert Bergdorf, with the iconic Uta Hagen, wow, and a variety of other teachers there, including Carol Rosenfeld, another driving force in the New York acting circles. Darren uses many of the techniques he learned at HB Studios, as well as some Meisner techniques taught to him when he studied in Los Angeles under the guidance of Janet Alhanti and Iris Klein, two important West Coast teachers who work with some of the industry's leading actors in Hollywood. Darren has taught acting technique, scene study, audition technique, and acting for musical theater in schools, studios, and privately in Canada and all across the U.S. He even taught at NYU, which we're going to be talking about for several years, as well as special workshops at many schools and some of the most prestigious theaters in the U.S., including Michigan State, York University, Actors Theater of Louisville, the Asolo Theater, Cincinnati Playhouse, as well as his longtime private class in New York City at the Ripley Greer Studios. He continues to coach actors for film, television, and theater auditions privately in New York City, Toronto, and teaches master classes when he's not working on stage and television. Darren was the co-founder and co-artistic director of the music theater program, BTT Broadway Triple Threat, alongside Tony-nominated Catherine Cox. BTT has become one of the most important destination summer musical theater programs in New York City and Philadelphia, where young performers are taught by some of the industry's most important artists, directors, choreographers, and casting folks. He is proud to have been part of this program. Darren's Broadway credits are numerous, and they include Sunset Boulevard with Glenn Close, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Footloose, Wonderful Town with Brooke Shields, Laughing Room Only opposite Jackie Mason, and Disney's Tarzan, written by Phil Collins. His many regional and national tours include the original Toronto production of Les Miserables, White Christmas, Stephen Schwartz is working with new material by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Dirty Blonde, City of Angels, and the West End hit and Mervish production of Ghost Stories, which he got wonderful reviews for. We'll be hearing about that as well, just to name a few. Recently, he created the role of Jack Warner for the pre-Broadway run of Cagney. His many guest appearances on TV include The Good Doctor, Designated Survivor, Suits, Law and Order, The Strain, The Firm, Queer as Folk, People of Earth, and Working Moms. His most notable film credits include Kodak Chrome, The Glass Classel, Spotlight, White Lies, Stealing School, and most recently, My Spy with Dave Batista. Again, as we mentioned earlier, he's taught acting in New York City at NYU and Toronto at the esteemed Randolph Academy. 
But of course, his most treasured production is his five-year-old daughter, Ruby. Playing the most important role yet as dad. And he's a great one. He has also won many awards, including a SAG Award for Best Ensemble in a Motion Picture, the esteemed L.A. Dramalogue Award for Best Direction of a Musical, nominated for a Dora Award and Carbonell Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Musical. He guest starred on the television series Nurses, has also guest starred on May Day. Wow. What an incredible body of work. Welcome, Darren, to Finding Your Bliss. Wow. I'm going to take that recording and send it to everybody who can find <laughs> Darren, you are an actor, and you've been an actor for over 37 years, a professional actor who has performed on Broadway. You've performed in film, in television, in theater. Your resume is as long as a red carpet runway, which, by the way, can be up to 50 feet long. <laughs> to what do you attribute your longevity and success as an actor for over 37 years now? It's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> you do it so well. You really do it so well in all these forms. You know what? I mean, all, all joking aside, it's the place where I feel the most at home. And over the years, it's morphed and changed, obviously. But I've always loved telling stories. I've always loved connecting with people. Um, I'm not the most organized man. And for whatever reason, if you give me a script and a place and a, and a set and you tell me what prop needs to go where, the world makes sense to me when I'm inside there, that you know, inside that place. And as I've gotten older, I mean, I have less tolerance for the nonsense of some of the business because, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I love the business of acting and singing and creating. I don't always love the business of the business, but there's not a performer out there that wouldn't tell you the same. It's it's show business. There's no two ways about it. It's not it's not show friendship. It's not show we love you. It's show business. But I have found more and more solace and joy and and profound creative uh, juices as I get older. It means more in the best way, and it means less in the best way. It's like I always tell my students, it's like, how do you not care in the best way? Meaning, there's no time to worry anymore. There's no time to be self-conscious. So it's a gift if you can stick it out as long as I have and still work. It just the joy of getting older and and not caring as much in the best way is why I think I'm still doing it. That's fantastic. Were you always an actor, even as a young kid, Darren? When did the acting bug first hit you? Yeah, really young. Now, let me, t I want to tell you something. It's really interesting. I'm a good actor. I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> you know, I busted, like if I skipped a uh, class in school, I always got found out. If I, <laughs> if I did something at home and I lied about it, I was always found out. I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> I'm a really good actor. I remember going to summer camp. In, in Northern Ontario, in Huntsville, Ontario, to a camp called Camp Winnebago. And at the time, in 1972, I was the youngest camper allowed at the camp that year. Uh, and now there are seven-year-olds go to camp, but I was seven, and I went to sleepaway camp. And I remember they, I did, they had plays and musicals, and I was in the musical Hans Christian Andersen's Fairy Tale. And, they, and I was the mayor and they, they gave me a, a, like a top hat, a giant top hat. I was seven and my counselors, um, um, he had a tux tail, like a jacket with tail and I walked in on stage and I didn't say a word and I got the big laugh. 
I remember thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) You loved it. You loved it from the age of seven. You loved that feeling. I caught the bug, you know, uh, or or as they say, you know, yeah, I caught the bug or I got bitten uh, very early on. And then there was, you know, there was school and high school and high school is really what started to redefine what acting and performing meant to, to me. Absolutely. I was drooling when I read that you studied with Uta Hagen. That was my dream to study at the Uta Hagen School as a young girl. Can you tell me what it was like to study? So, but we never called her Uta, just so you know, it was always Miss Hagen. So at the school, she was never, you never spoke to her other than to uh, address her as Miss Hagen. And I don't know, it was just always the way. And she was an extraordinary teacher, not to mention just one of the finest actresses, but to see her on stage, which I finally got to do, I got to see her off Broadway in a play called Collected Stories, and she was exceptional. Mm. What What is the greatest acting lesson that you learned from the iconic, and I want to say it correctly, Uda Hagen? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uda, um, what was the greatest? I think it was the very first moment I met her. And it's a really neat story. So if you can picture this, um, the HP Studios is down in the West Village. And I, you know, I, I had sort of, I had been there under the tutelage of Carol Rosenfeld. But Miss Hoggins' class was at the top of the stairs and down the hall. <laughs> and it, you know, there was a little placard that said Miss Hoggins' class. And it was, I just, I never knew what went on behind that door. I knew the greats had studied there. I knew that great things had happened in there. And you felt an energy in the school from that door. I can't tell you. And so I was sent up the stairs to have my audition. I wasn't automatically accepted to her master class. Um, and all I remember, and this is so many years ago, when I was a young actor in New York, I was on Broadway. I was, uh, I don't think I had turned 30 yet. I, all I remember is that the piece I was doing, I brought in a box of baseball cards and Miss Hagen was sitting at her desk. It was dark in the room, except the lights on the playing area or the stage area. Uh, her poodle, um, I don't remember the dog's name was sitting on the chair next to her, which I'll tell you a very funny story. And it says no smoking everywhere in the studio, except she was smoking. And <laughs> She was writing something very intently on a piece of paper. She kind of motioned with her fingers, her left hand, to, to come in, but didn't say a word. And I was incredibly nervous. And I just went to the stage and I started to place my baseball cards in a square uh, box, but in lines, in rows, very meticulously. And I was setting it up very meticulously. Now, inadvertently, I didn't realize that she had put her pen down and she became quite transfixed on what I was doing. And when I was done, I said, okay, I'm ready. And she went, oh, now you've ruined it. (sighs) And I said, she said, oh. And that was the first lesson. And the first lesson was, that doing is acting, not, okay, I'm ready to act. So, and that's a tricky, there's a fine line because of course you make an entrance from the wings, right? But I guess what she's, and then she said to me, I'll never forget. I said, well, shall I start? She goes, well, you can try. <laughs> and she had this very deep voice and uh, husky voice. And thankfully, 
Whatever it was I did was enough to get into the class. But that was my first lesson. Just do. Don't think. Just do. Oh, that's just sound, that sounds dreamy. It really does. Really dreamy. <laughs> and then the other really great Miss Hogan story. And I have so many, but I mean, she was really, she was an iconic woman and a legend and a, and a beautiful teacher. And if anyone's listening and you're a young actor or you're interested at all, go on YouTube and look up Miss Hoggins, Uta Hagen, uh, a masterclass. And you'll watch, they, they seem dated now because the music's a little 1980s, or, but watch these videos they are extraordinary lessons in the in, in not only acting but in teaching and in being and and um but my favorite was her dog <laughs> her little white poodle used to sit in the class and every time i got up to work i'm not kidding you um, the the dog would get up and turn the other way with its like butt its doggy butt facing the stage <laughs> and looking the other way and i i went and so i once finished a scene and she said do you have any questions and i said yes miss hogan when do you think your dog will watch me work <laughs> without skipping a beat she said when there's something worth watching <laughs> <laughs> that's fabulous oh, years, later, years later uh, judy i went to see her in Collected Stories, and I was so excited. It had been years after I studied with her, and I thought, oh, I wonder if she'll even remember. And I knew her dresser, and I, 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 I made arrangements with her dresser to come and see her after the show. And I stood at the stage door, and they were about to bring me in to see her, and, and she actually walked to the stage door with her dog, and she looked at me. And I was co-starring in my first big role in New York in a show called Little by Little at the York Theater with two iconic, lovely actresses, Liz Larson, a Tony nominee, and Christiane Noel. Anyway, um, I, I was so certain that she might not even remember my name. And of course, I mean, and Miss Hogan looked at me, and before I could say anything about her performance, she looked at me and she went, nice review in the Times. <gasps> I just got the chills. Oh, oh. I love and that. That, I think, was my graduation day with her. Oh, isn't that fantastic? Yeah. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. Your resume reads like a who's who of showbiz. Mm. Is there a moment on a Broadway stage that stands out for you where you actually thought to yourself, I can't believe I'm here and I can't believe that I'm doing this thing that I love to do so much on Broadway? I mean, I think there were several. I think there's two that just popped into my head. And just so you know, I started off as um, an understudy in Sunset Boulevard, my first Broadway show, I, I, I ended up taking over a role, of, of one of the supporting roles, Artie Green, um, played by Jack Webb in the movie. But I started off for the first year as an understudy. Mm. And my first bow, I went on, this is, the, I still can't believe it. Mm. But my first time on was on my birthday. <gasps> Oh my goodness. And I remember taking a bow and thinking I had heard from many people as an actor, it's very good luck to work on your birthday. I don't know why, but mm. someone once told me that and I'm I'm a little um, you know, what's the word? Superstitious. Yeah, I'm a little superstitious. <laughs> and I remember taking my bow and thinking, Oh my god, this is the greatest present in the world. Oh. And I had I mean, I I'm I'm even I'm getting a little teary. I, I had dreamt of being on Broadway my whole life. I just I knew and, and it's interesting because I went to Los Angeles before I went to New York, which everybody, including my mother, said, I don't get it because, you know, I was I was sort of I did enough TV as a kid and enough theater in Toronto that I 
sort of thought I wanted to just do television. Um, and, and of course, LA took me to New York to do Sunset Boulevard. And then the next one was doing Wonderful Town, which is a Leonard Bernstein show. And it's, it's just a wonderful, Rosalind Russell, I think, did the, the original. Um, and it's, it, just an extraordinarily fun, beautiful show. And I had a great role in the show. Um, mm-hmm. Started off the show with Donna Murphy, who's like, before Brooke Shields took it over, it was Donna Murphy. And it was, I had an amazing role in the show, but I stood by for a character named Apopolis, uh, performed by the great David Margulies, who was in everything from Angels in America to like, you just... He just one of the great, great character actors. And I never, I prayed I wouldn't go on because to fill his shoes. <laughs> and sure enough, I got the call and I went on and I'm not kidding you. And I took my bow and Donna Murphy and company mm. stood back. They, they let me take my bow and then they all stood back and then they all applauded me. <laughs> I just thought, wow, I, it was, um, it was a really, really, it, it was the moment that I be- started to believe that I could take on substantial roles on, on Broadway and, and elsewhere. Wow, that's, that's so incredible. <laughs> In Sunset Boulevard, did you have any interaction with Glenn Close? Oh my gosh, Glenn Close was terrific. She was a great leader. She was, a, she was one of the gang. And because I started off as an understudy and I did the show in Los Angeles before we did it in New York, I had so much offstage time that her daughter, Annie, um, <laughs> who was just in the movie that she, did she win the Oscar? Uh, oh, it was for The Wife. She won for The Wife. And, yes. And, yes. So is the movie The Wife, um, her daughter, Annie, played the younger version of her in the movie. Mm-hmm. Her daughter was a tiny little peanut when we started Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> And this is a long way to go, but because I was the understudy, I had all this time off stage. So Annie and I would hang out and I would do arts and crafts with her. <laughs> and people used to joke because for whatever reason, there was a picture of me and Annie on Glenn's mirror. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen Annie since she was, I think maybe I knew her till she was seven because Glenn was involved with the show in LA and then a year in New York. But um, do you ever do um, uh, uh, Secret Santa? Of course, of course. So every Broadway show does Secret Santa. It's a big deal. And of course, I was the understudy, so I had the time to do all the names and put them in the bowl, and I took them around. And um, I drew Glenn's name, and everybody thought that it was fixed. Because (laughs) Glenn played really hard. The only thing Glenn didn't realize – how I busted her early on (laughs) is that she wrote these long, long letters and she tried to write them with her left hand, but her writing was so obvious. (laughs) And so did a series of gift certificates. One was, um, she, uh, a gift certificate to McDonald's. One was a manicure pedicure. The next one was a massage. And then I kept saying everybody, I'm getting a Mazda Miata. She's buying me a car. (laughs) Oh, wow. <laughs> we got a certificate to a restaurant, a very famous restaurant in, in L.A. Uh, this was in the L.A. company. And I just, uh, I, Glenn was amazing. She was just, she was a fearless leader and a, and a lovely woman and very, very humble. And just um, really, uh, we went back to see the cast of Sunset Boulevard. The original was invited back a couple of years ago when she did the revival on Broadway. She was she was 
bigger and better than I'd ever seen her. And she was so lovely in the role. And it was such a beautiful reunion. She's a great lady. Isn't that fantastic? You yeah. really have worked with some of the greatest talents in the industry, including funny men, Jackie Mason in Laughing Room Only. What was that like? That was a, well, <laughs> let me start off by saying I love Jackie and Jackie is a character. And for Jackie to share the stage with five comedic actors was a very brave undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> for us. Um, <laughs> he was Jackie and, and did like to do things a certain way. Um, the show, unfortunately, um, it's kind of my badge of honor, but the New York Times called it the worst musical ever written for the oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, when you go into auditions with people, it's the greatest thing because they don't look anything on your resume that's like magnificent. They always go to, you were in that. <laughs> you know what? It was, um, I got, I have a lot of war stories and that's, one of the funniest, but one of the greatest group of actors. And as it turns out, the guy that plays Cagney, his name is Robert Creighton. It was his first Broadway show. He was the Broadway baby in that show. And he has since um, just his body of work is humongous. But he remembered me and our friendship and what he thought I could do for his show. And he brought me along for the ride in Cagney. And so sometimes when you do a show that maybe doesn't, you know, make it or something always comes of these things. Yes, and, silver linings. There's always a silver lining in every experience. It's so true. How cool to have been part of the cast of Tarzan written by Phil Collins. What are your memories of that experience? Yeah. Oh God. Phil Collins. Phil Collins is a another one who you just and I grew up loving Genesis and loving him. I had seen him in concert at the Maple Leaf Gardens and at the CNE more times than I can remember as a kid. So to get to do that show with him and written by the brilliant mm. David Henry Huang, who wrote mm. M Butterfly. He wrote the book. Foley directed the show, and he's most renowned for his magnificent set designs. He's a He's a, he's a designer, and Disney gave him a shot uh, to direct it. Um, the show was beautiful. It was really unique. It was really different. Um, and Phil was, uh, you know, Phil was just a, a lovely guy. In fact, you know, I remember Phil was going through a, a bit of a crazy time. I think he was going through a split, and I had just gone through one. Um, my marriage had dissolved, and he was going through a split. Now, his clearly on, on an epic sort of visual uh, public level. And I remember uh, going out to the parking lot. We rehearsed at the Brooklyn uh, Naval Yard Studios. The set was so big that they we didn't go on tour with it. They built the set inside a soundstage, and they busted out to the, this huge film studio every day. And I remember going out to the parking lot to take a breath and to, on a break, and Phil was standing there in the parking lot. And I went up to him. And it was the first sort of real personal interaction I had with him. And I, I said, Hey, uh, how you doing? And he said, Oh, have you read the papers or something to that effect? And I said, yeah, I said, listen, I said, I'm, I'm going through it too. And I said, certainly not on the same, to the same degree publicly, but I, I, I feel you. And I said, if you ever just need a shoulder, you know, and he came over and he hugged me Aww. and, uh, the next day I received a note from him and he signs his name with musical notes. It's really cute hmm. on his call and stationery. I still have the note and he said, uh, dear Darren, thanks for, um, 
inviting me into the Broadway frat. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yes, isn't that a wonderful treasure to have? My goodness. We we just had on Loretta Bailey for a lovely interview. Start as Eponine. Bailey. I mean, she is just an angel on this planet. And she was as in the Canadian premiere, premiere of Lemise Rabbit. And you were also part of the original Toronto production playing Marius. And I think that Loretta and Wendy Lenz, who t- later took on the role of Eponine, both died in your arms along with the yeah. other Eponine. Yeah, well, it's funny. David Malik uh, created the role and there were a bunch of us that stood by for it. And I think I took over for, for several weeks. Uh, I can't remember, but I remember, and I was on an awful lot. That show is kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a marathon, so people don't sometimes do eight shows a week. Um, but every time I got to do the show with Loretta and, mm-hmm. and sing a little Fall of Rain with her, oh. um, yeah, it just it's so funny because you know and this is the power of theater, right? And the power of beautiful theater. You know, I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw Loretta. I think it may have been at the opening night of the most recent production at the, at the uh, Princess of Wales. We were all invited to go see it before it went to Broadway mm. 10 years ago. And I, I don't think I've seen Loretta since, but when I see Loretta or when I see her again, <laughs> that when you have the kind of connection we had on stage, it just all comes back in a moment. Yeah. Yeah. So incredible. Oh my gosh. I, ha- I have the shivers from it because it's, it's just, it's really part of Canadian history, you know, Canadian theater history. It's oh, amazing. We were, we, I'm not kidding. I, and, and every time, I mean, you know, there, I have funny stories too about it, like really funny stories. Um, like the first time I went on is Marius. I can't remember the actual lyric, but Michael Burgess <laughs> was standing there and I think I think I will go into the streets. There are bodies on the ground. Now I don't remember the real lyric, but I went up and I just this is what I sang. I will go into the streets. There are bodies on the ground. Lots of bodies on the ground. Lots of bodies. Oh, no. And he whispered in my ear, that's a lot of bodies. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, and this is what's funny, and I always tell people this. I just I just saw a picture of me as Marius because it's, it's a big anniversary. There's a, a, a Facebook page called Beyond the Barricade, and all of us from all these companies all over the world are members of it. So there's... Mm like this flooding of pictures. And I found a picture of me as Marius and I looked at it and I was this young, wide eyed, optimistic, <laughs> and I, I'm still optimistic, but I, I just, I, I, a full head of hair and a little you know, <laughs> man sort of look. And I thought it would always be that way. And now I would play Marius's accountant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a, what a great memory. <laughs> you, you've gotten marvelous reviews. You received marvelous reviews for your role in the Mervish production of Ghost Stories. Toronto Star Theatre critic Richard Ozunian wrote, the third sketch is where things get better and worse. Darren Baker succeeds in eventually putting some pathos into his story of a self-centered businessman who has to cope with the results of his flawed parenting. So that was a lovely notice in that in that production. What was it like doing that show? Richard Azunian, by the way, you know, I never thought I would ever be friends with critics. <laughs> and John Simon in New York, you know, the iconic John Simon, it, when he and I, now he's since passed, but, you know, and, and Charles Isherwood, they're all Facebook friends of mine now. And, and I know Richard actually personally now, but I think back to when he first reviewed me. I was in a show, at the, it was then called the New Yorker Theater. I came up from New York to do a show called Hello Mada, Hello Fada. Mm-hmm. He wrote, Darren Baker sings uh, with chopped liver smoothness. <laughs> it was a really <laughs> show. And li- listen, 
if you're if you if you happen to like chopped liver and a really good smooth one, it was the greatest compliment I ever got. <laughs> you yeah. need the fried onions. You need the fried onions to really top it up. <laughs> Richard is an honest critic, and I was in something that he didn't like as well. I don't think he's ever killed me, but Richard doesn't pull any punches. Um, he's directing now. He's he's no longer the chief critic for the star, but yeah, you know what? The show was a really really interesting show. Um, the British, the British audiences ate it up. And in fact, so much so that there was a revival of it recently. And there's since been a motion picture. Our production did okay. The problem with, with, with what happened is that the, it promised up, it was kind of a horror film on stage and a psychological drama. And it promised up such scares that I think in some respects, people came expecting more than it you know, in that, in the scare fest area, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, but it was a, it was a neat show to do. And the Mervish team are, uh, there are no greater producers in Canada. Uh, they're wonderful. And um, they've done a lot for many of us and uh, I would do anything to work with them again. So I was thrilled to be in that. That's so incredible. Very recently, you created the role of Jack Warner for the pre-Broadway production of Cagney. Mm-hmm. And you've gotten marvelous notices for that as well, including this one from Catherine Reese Newton of the Utah Art Review. Darren Baker plays his antagonist. Studio Despo Jack Warner with such panache that it's hard to dislike him, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. What was it like getting that leading role in Cagney, which I believe was headed for Broadway? It, Cagney is an amazing ride. Playing Jack Warner was it, was and is and hopefully will be again. You know, I did the show 10 years ago and I did it in four cities and then they took the show to Off-Broadway and they went with a different actor. Uh, they went with somebody a little older and a wonderful actor, a, a great guy named Bruce Sabbath. Um, he'd kill me if he heard me say a little older. I just think they went a, a different way. Um, and then they just rebooted the show and rebuilt the show and it zhuzhed it up as it were mm. uh, to be a full Broadway scale show with beautiful mm. sets and um, and to go back and get to do a production of, wow. a, of a role that I created 10 years ago and mm. to get to revisit it at an age where I really think I brought new perspective and I didn't need to be so liked in the show. Jack Warner was not a nice man um, and uh, but to get to do it opposite Bobby Creighton, who we just play a great game of tennis on stage. Mm. He's, you know, when you get to play tennis with a great tennis player, you play better. Of course. Of course. You always play with someone better yeah. than you do to up your yeah. game. Of course. COVID has come along and it's, oh, um, it's, it's put a stall or a, I'm calling it the now normal, not the new normal. So mm-hmm. it, it has, it has, it has, um, it's hit the pause button for a lot of things and including the theater for which we're all, you know, really uh, reeling, uh, reeling, but we're resilient people. We are, we're, we're actors and we are very used to timeouts and um, things that are out of our control and we will rise again and we will rise again stronger and a greater sense of gratitude and, um, and a joy for it that um, will, 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 be tenfold you know i'm so inspired by what theater performers have done virtually they're doing so many wonderful i've even seen some wonderful virtual shows i just saw saw gabby epstein in a one and a half hour live stream yeah. show that actually had phenomenal sound and was amazing like you know we're we're working with it you know to the best of our ability which is amazing people are being creative and inventive we are adapting yes 
and and until until it comes back and it will it will be back and this too shall pass as we know and you're right it'll be all the more sweeter and even more appreciated than ever darren you love to sing and we have a track of you singing i'll be here tomorrow can you set this up for us so this is a brand new song and speaking of virtual um events i'm doing an event for the Harold Green Jewish Theater, uh, a wonderful um, theater in, in Toronto, and this is a, a, a co-production they do with with a synagogue actually. And but this particular song is a Jerry Herman song. Jerry Herman, who wrote, um, you know, uh, Le Cage Fall and Mame, and and I I, I, did, I thought nothing of the lyric when I first. I just thought, oh, it's a little Jerry Herman song. And then I started to really think about it, and I think I sang about a verse of it for you guys. It's it's. Uh, um, but when you listen to these lyrics about I'll be here tomorrow and you uh, you think about what's going on in the world and the pandemic and COVID and it really struck a chord in me. And I have to tell you, I, I, I it's from a show called The Grand Tour. Joel Gray originated the role and I felt honored um, to sing these lyrics in this event at this time. Hmm. That's so wonderful. Let's play that clip. I'll be here tomorrow. I'll be here tomorrow. Alive and well and thriving. I'll be here tomorrow. It's simply called surviving. If before the dawn, this fragile world should crack. Someone's got to try to put the pieces back So if beneath the rubble You'll hear a little voice say Life is worth the trouble Have you a better choice? So let the skeptics say Tonight we're dead and gone I'll be here tomorrow Simply go That was so beautiful, Darren. I just loved that. And I've actually heard it a few times and I've teared up every time that I've heard it. So that's amazing. I never heard the song. So uh, there you go. I just love that. You, there's so much to cover. I I feel like I've I've got to do uh, two shows with you because there's so much that, that was just stage that we've just been talking about. I know. I know. Right. You also have constantly gotten roles on television episodics, including The Good Doctor, Designated Survivor, Suits, Law and Order, The Firm, just to name a few. What do you love about working as an actor in television? Well, I love the the subtlety of it, um, the nuance of it. You get to really dial it down. Uh, Anyone who tells you a stage actor can't work on film doesn't know what they're talking about because some of the greatest stage actors who are my heroes showed me that you can, you know, truth is truth, whether it's on stage or whether it's on a little can, uh, you know, a little screen. But, and now so many of us are watching television on our cell phones, right? Um, but I'll tell you the other thing I love. <laughs> I love that when you're done with a scene, you're done with it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's not that I don't like doing eight shows a week. I do, you know, and the other thing about TV is that, you don't over-rehearse. I mean, you rehearse, 
but so much of it is so immediate and it's being captured so immediately. And if you work with great directors, I'm talking about the kind of directors who know when they have the shot. Um, oftentimes it's, 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 it's done pretty quickly. And I just, um, you know, long days and all of that, but I just, I really love working on film. It, I never thought I'd love it as much as I do. That's so great. You also have, as mentioned earlier uh, in, in the hour, you have many notable film credits. And I remember being so thrilled to see you in the Academy Award winning film well, for Best Motion Picture of the Year. I believe it was 2015. And that was for Spotlight. What was it like being in that film? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I'm only in it for a minute, really. But it's kind of a pivotal moment in the movie. But here's the interesting thing. Um, it's Thomas McCarthy, who who directed it, uh, I auditioned for a role, for the role that Brian Darcy James ended up doing in the movie. And Brian's done very well. Talk about a, a musical theater actor who's turned into a, a just a, a very, very well-known working television and film actor. And here's the crazier thing. I stood by for Brian <laughs> in White Christmas alongside playing the role that I played. So Brian and I have been on stage together. I've been on stage for him. Mm. When- generous actors in the world but so i auditioned for that role didn't get it and then two days before the film was about to wrap hmm. my agent got a personal email saying the director's written a a, a sermon uh, um that the the priest uh that this Father, I can't remember my character's name. Father, can't remember. I was Father something. Um, as speaks in the middle of the movie. It's a really pivotal moment. We know it's not a huge role, but will Darren come and do it? <laughs> now, not only did I say, of course, Rachel McAdams is in the movie. I mean, everyone's in the movie. <laughs> um, it's a huge cast. But my uncle Howard Shore wrote the music for the movie. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I didn't make that connection. And I'm so proud to be in that movie. Um, it's a beautiful film. It's so, it really is. And I'm picturing you in the green and white. I, I don't remember what the father's yes. name was, but I remember you wore green and white. Most recently, you also did the film My Spy with Dave Batista, a wonderful children's film. Can you tell us briefly about that? You know what? Another one where I'm in it for a minute. I've got a couple of scenes in the movie. Um, but uh great great director done so many uh, comic films and dave bautista i only knew about him because my nephew uh jordan is a humongous wrestling fan uh, <laughs> would talk about this guy bautista bautista <laughs> and not only say that he was like everyone loved him but apparently the nicest guy in the dressing rooms of the of the world federation of wrestling or whatever they call it and I, I got on set and I play this smart sort of uppity surgeon and he's this kind of street like guy. And um, he ends up taking all the accolades because everyone just falls in love with him. It, I won't give it away, but he does something in the movie that makes outrages me. And then I go to one up him and it's a very funny moment in the movie. Uh, and Dave Bautista, uh, who I think is just charming and lovely, became a nice pal uh, you know, uh, and I hope we get to work together again. He came up to me and he said, wow, man, I saw your, well, he doesn't talk like He said, I, I sound like a wrestler. He said, I, you know, I saw your audition tape. Uh, 
And he goes, oh, you're so funny. And I thought, wow, the star of this movie, like reviewed tapes. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, Darren, I want to ask you what your favorite place to act is on stage, film, or television. We'll hear the answer to that right after this commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7, and we are joined in a delightful conversation with actor Darren Baker. Darren, so I just said before the break, I'm just curious, what is your favorite place to act on stage, film, or television? Wow. You know, uh, the truth is I just love to work. So that's the truth. But I think if really the, the, the athletics of acting or sort of um, the Olympics of acting really are on the stage for me. And that's, you know, the curtain goes up and it's your, your stage and all of the unexpected things that happen and technical and other and going up on lines and um, having to get to a show when you've had a rough day or something's going on in the world or something, you know, and, and um, the theater's really, I think my ultimate favorite place, but I'm not kidding you when I say this, Every day that I get to work as an actor, no matter where it is, stage, film, or TV, is a day of gratitude and joy for me. And I've never lost that. Yeah, exactly. It's always it's always new and it's always joyful. And, and your students are so lucky. You've taught at some of those prestigious acting schools and workshops in the world, including NYU. You use a lot of the Meisner technique, which I know it's a, it's a wonderful acting technique. What do you love about teaching? Um... I think ultimately that I'm the biggest student in the class. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Um, and I love the process and I always have, and I'm, I'm an actor who can rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. I, you can, I'm, I never ever uh, uh, complain about too much rehearsal. So being in acting school is just rehearsing. It's just getting up and falling down. And, and that's what teaching is. It's just, getting up and trying and trying and, and experimenting and exploring and, and connecting. That's joyful. It's so great. I know your whole family, your beautiful mom, who is Carol Baker of the famous Visage Cosmetics. And I know that she has always beamed whenever she talks about you. Do you think that part of your success is attributable to the fact that your mom was always so supportive of your acting career? Uh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. You know, but I, was, I also joke around and say, like, my mother could go see, like, you know, the all black production of, you know, ain't misbehaving and say, Oh my God, you're perfect for the show. <laughs> <laughs> she, she loves anything that you do on stage or in or film. Like, you know, or, you know uh, uh, but my mother who was always enthusiastic about 
me being able to do anything. But I'll never forget when my parents went to see Les Miserables uh, in London, England. And my father's a pretty, you know, hardcore business guy. And he's, I mean, he's a gentleman and he's open and he's evolved, but he never really got what I do. And, and, but he, they came back from London and my father said, my father, not my mother, my, this is when I was 22 years old. And my dad said, uh, we just saw the show and, uh, and he doesn't talk like that either. I'm doing, it sound like Dave Bautista. No, my father said, we just saw Limez and you're perfect for it. And there's this character named Marius. And um, then I got to play the role and I, when I did and my mother managed somehow to get like 53 tickets to that performance. And my father stood and I saw, and I saw my dad in the audience and I was like, Whoa. And they were all just applauding me. And I thought, wow, my parents really believe in me and they do. And listen, they told me, if you're going to go do it, do it with everything you got. I know that your most treasured production of all the productions is your five-year-old daughter, Ruby, who is such a doll. Can you tell me about your sweet and beautiful daughter, Ruby? Oh, she is funny and feisty and determined and can be the biggest pain in your behind Uh and be my greatest joy. And I think ultimately she is, um, you know, she came late in the game for me. Ruby was a was a was a surprise, <laughs> and and not how I thought uh, the, this part of my life was going to go. You know, I didn't think the second half of my life was going to be uh, as a father, and um, it's not how I would have ordered it up. But it's certainly the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and I think she's my greatest teacher, and she's making me the most responsible. I ever person I could, you know, taking responsibility for my actions, my words, why I get out of bed every day, what my goals are. And when I always goes, this all goes back to acting class, right? So when the teacher told me about something called a super objective, like in, in every scene, in every story, an actor has an objective. I don't think I knew what that was until I had a child. And my objectives have shifted and changed and she's always at the forefront of what I choose and what I want to do and how I want to do it and why I want to do it and what I want to leave for my beautiful peanut. So lovely. I know there's a song that you and Ruby share as your yeah. driving song. And I love that song that you sing. Uh, it's called slow dance, slow hotel. And I love that the song was written by Wendy Lenz, who's also been a frequent guest on our, on finding your bliss. Can you tell us about this song that you call your driving song? Okay. So I, it's the weirdest. Thing. I'm a huge Wendy Lands fan, by the way, huge, and I always have been. Um, she's just a magnificent artist, an incredible songstress, and interpreter, and writer. And um, clearly, my daughter and I share some DNA where that concerned. I want to put the song on, and Ruby really loves. It. My daughter lives in New York, um, and so I'm back and forth to New York all the time, but. My daughter loves being a New Yorker. It's the weirdest thing. She's like five going on 80. And she's like, she's like, I live in, and she says New York. And um, I put on this song and the chorus, you know, goes, New York, New York on a lazy afternoon. And my daughter lit up, but I think my daughter really responds to Wendy's voice. But here's the crazy thing. Wendy also voiced Mattel toys and lots of cartoony stuff for kids. And yeah, Barbie, she was also Barbie for a while. She's yeah, not that she sings like that, but clearly 
Her voice speaks to kids as well. So my daughter, since she's two years old, uh-huh. known every word to Wendy's song. <laughs> this day, when I pick her up or I get her, you know, from her mom and we get in the car, she goes, Daddy, play New York, New York, even though it's called Slow Dance Hotel, um, because the lyric is New York, New York. And it makes me howl. I could play this on 54. <laughs> what is your advice, Darren, for young actors embarking on a career on stage in television and film? What is your secret and what advice do you have for young people? <sighs> Don't be sidetracked by social media. <laughs> Don't mm-hmm. think that because you post something and 9 million people like it, that it's, it's not enough. It's great. And there's so many things you can do. Go study and study the classics. And here's the great thing. The one thing you can do with your phone now is you can look up so many projects and actors and footage and, um, mm-hmm. and just be a sponge and study, study, study and gain technique. Don't get sidetracked by the hoopla. Get sidetracked by the craft and the joy and what it is to actually do the work. You got to do the work. And I'm not saying that there isn't a shaft of life that doesn't come out down from the sky on a certain kid. Cause there are, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of people on the planet who just got it right. Mm-hmm. But the rest of us, and certainly for me, um, it's hard work. But it's, it's the work. But and it's, it's the joy. It's the joy of doing the work. But it's good work and it's important work. It's not, you know, we're not curing cancer, but we are taking people on journeys and, and we can use the work in so many ways to distract, to uh, educate, to involve, to, you know, it's, it's, it, but just go and do the work. What is bliss for Darren Baker? Oh my gosh. I'm going to cry. Um, family. And I'm sorry, that's you just you kind of hit me. I didn't see that coming. Um, this is gratitude and being present and taking in the people that I love and the people that love me and realizing that today is bliss. Today is bliss. Not yesterday and not tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Um, and I'm lucky I have it. I have my partner Liz and her kids and my daughter and my family and my colleagues and you, Judy, for doing this. Well, I kept thinking, if I don't find my bliss by the end of this radio show, until I know that's bliss. And that's bliss right now. If you ask me tomorrow, it might be something different. That's so great. <laughs> We're going to go on a short commercial break. More with Finding Your Bliss and Darren Baker when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together.
we are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're joined today by actor and Broadway performer, Darren Baker. Darren, you've prepared a beautiful song for us. It's called There We Are. Can you set this up for us? Yeah, um, James Taylor wrote it. James Taylor's the reason I sing. He's the reason I think I love music as much as I do. And as as wonderful as it's been to, to be on Broadway and sing, you know, everything from Cy Coleman to Andrew Lloyd Webber, James Taylor's music has always resonated with me. And my parents were kind of poncho-wearing hippies, and I remember playing in the house as a kid. And I, I just one night, um, I, Ruby wouldn't sleep. She was just... She was a peanut and um, she wouldn't go to sleep and she was fussy. And I just started to sing it to her and she immediately Hmm. just fell asleep on my chest. And so it became the song that I sang to her. Now for the first several years, it was always the song. And then one night she started to the last um, line of every sentence, Ruby would say the word. So for a couple of years, we would play a game as we went to sleep. Now, she doesn't always want to hear the song because sometimes she says, Daddy, I just want to go to sleep. And, <laughs> and, I, you know, and it's so funny. Everyone's allowed to sing except me and her mother. And I always say, Ruby, I've sung on Broadway. She goes, Daddy, I'm the only one allowed to sing. But I still sing it to her, and she still loves it. And, um, and actually, we recorded it uh, for Finding Your Bliss. And it was so great to do because I just sent a copy of it to um to ruby's mom and i'm hoping that ruby will uh will want to listen to it before she goes to bed at least that's so great let's have a listen to there we are listen to me and i'll sing you a song and the time will go by till you never know where it's gone talk to me and i'll tell you my life story Walk with me, I'll tell you my dreams of glory Here we are, walking hand in hand Somewhere on the sand At the end of the land, at the edge of the shining sea Drifting through time and space on the face of a little blue ball Falling around the sun One in a million billion twinkling lights Shining out for no one In the middle of the night Here we are Like sparks in the darkness Speaking of our love And burning down forever and forever I don't know if I told you But you hold my heart in your hand And I found out something about you Ruby, without you I'm a lonely man So though I'm always saying I love you I love you, darling, I do Ruby, I do love you And though we are as nothing 
to the stars that shine above. You are my universe. You are my love. Here we are, like children forever, taking care of one another while the world goes on around us. All around us. Good night, Ruby. I love you forever and a day. That was so gorgeous. Love that, Darren. I want to thank you so much, Darren Baker, for being on Finding Your Bliss. It really has been an absolute delight to have you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for doing this and um, and just uh, letting so many of us uh, talk about our journeys and and finding our bliss. And every time I've 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 seen you socially, I just always get such a lovely. Um, just you just have such a lovely energy, and I'm I'm really grateful to have been on your show. I really thank you. Thank you so much. It's it's really been wonderful. To follow Darren Baker on social media, you can follow him on Instagram at Darren Baker Official. That's D-A-R-R-I-N-B-A-K-E-R, capital O, official. I would like to thank my guest, Darren Baker, for being here today. Also, I would like to thank our amazing crew and everyone here at Zoomer. I would love to close out the show today with a short quote by Uta Hagen from her book, Respect for Acting. Keep pace with the present. Take a trip to the moon. Envision the future. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.